Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning everyone in the United States. That includes the eastern coast of the United States, the central region, the mid-section of the United States, and of course, the western part. And anyone that's listening to me from around the world the over 2 billion people that I have access to. Uh, it would be a miracle of God for me to reach every person that has access to the Internet. But, hey, with God, anything is possible. But anyway, that's my reach. Shalom, which is peace in Hebrew. My name is Kennard. I am your host for the merciful servants of God, biblical, I want to underscore that, Biblical Instructional Program. This program is for people who sincerely are looking for the truth. What is the truth? Can you handle the truth? So if you can handle the truth, folks, this program is for you because this is all that I do in this program is, to the best of my human ability, tell you what the truth is. But does the Bible gives us does the Bible give us a definition of what truth is? Yes, it does, folks. Let's turn to Psalm chapter one nineteen in your Bible. Psalm one nineteen, verse one forty two. Let's turn there. Let's turn there. <clears throat> Psalm one nineteen. I'm going to read this in the old King James Version. Psalm 119, verse 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law, law uh, in Hebrew means Torah, and it means the instructions. Thy instructions is the truth. Is the truth. And then later on, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or Yeshua Messiah in Hebrew, in John chapter 17, John chapter 17, verse 17, he stated plainly the following. Sanctify them through thy truth. So sanctify in Greek means hagiazo, and it means to make holy, purify, or consecrate. So how, how are we, if you are a true follower of the true God of the Bible, how do you make yourself holy? Through thy truth, through the instructions of God. 
And the Messiah states here, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. The words of the Bible is the truth, ladies and gentlemen. And then Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, states the following. Matthew 4, verse 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. doesn't mean that we shouldn't live by bread, but it should not be the only thing we live by. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The entire Bible, the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, and the Apostolic Scriptures, which is called the New Testament, those two books combined is every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God in print that he wanted us to know. It is, it is the inspired official book of Almighty God. And we must take those words seriously. This century, the 21st century, in all likelihood, will be the century that the Messiah will come and land his feet on the Mount of Olives and rule this planet and rule this universe from the earth. We all must be preparing ourselves. We should be preparing ourselves for his second coming, ladies and gentlemen. That's why me and a few others are preaching the true gospel of the kingdom of God to the best of our abilities to warn people and to prepare people for this second coming. We are all living in a unique generation, the generation where we will see the Messiah come and rule this earth. But we have to have the right attitude. We must understand that this God, true God of the Bible, must be respected. He requires for us to respect him. And how do we respect him? By obeying him, ladies and gentlemen. And if you don't obey these words, if you doubt the words, if you think you have a better way, then he's not going to appreciate that. He's not going to give you the ability to understand the words, folks. Um, How do I know that? Well, I know this book pretty well. I've studied it for almost 30 years. And the same thing can happen to you, folks, if you just submit. He doesn't play favorites. Uh, If you just submit to him, he will give you the ability to uh, to understand his words. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22, it states the following, How long, you simple ones? What's a simple one in Hebrew? Uh, A foolish one. Someone who's silly. So he's saying, how long, silly people? Will you love simplicity? I'm sorry. How long, silly people, will you love simplicity? So that's um, how long, silly people, will you love silliness? Okay, to break it down. And the scorners delight in their scorning. And fools hate knowledge. So I'm not calling you a fool, but Almighty God calls every one of us fools if we hate knowledge. If we don't want to learn. Verse 23, turn you at my reproof. Reproof means correction in Hebrew. Pour out my spirit unto you, and I will make known my words unto you. So if we don't have this attitude of of wanting to humble ourselves and to repent and, and understand that we don't know everything, 
he's not going to give you the ability to make his words, this Bible, known unto you. In other words, he won't give you the ability to understand the words that I'm speaking to you right now if you don't have the attitude of wanting to be open-minded and to repent. In verse 24, because I have called and you, you re- and you refuse. I have stretched out my hand. Now, he doesn't literally stretch, stretch out his hand to you, but he does it through men and sometimes women, okay? He has done that throughout history. He says, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, verse 25, but you have set at naught all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. In other words, you don't want to listen. And this is what's going to happen, and this, as I'm speaking, is happening in certain parts of the world. I also will laugh at your calamity, at your calamity, at your difficulty, at your misfortune. I will mock when you're fear. He's talking sarcastically, of course, but he's telling you that, hey, if you ignore me, I'm going to ignore you. I will mock when your fear comes, verse 27, when your fear cometh as a desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind or a hurricane, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then they shall call upon me. This is the way most people respond to, to God. That Unfortunately, this is the way it is. When that hurricane is coming or, or, or when that big problem is coming, oh, God, oh, oh, please come out, help me. But this is what he says he's going to do. And, you know, uh, sometimes he doesn't. He still has mercy. But there, there, there comes times when he doesn't, uh, when you hear of, of little babies dying and when you hear about all these things. Th- those are things that he allows, unfortunately, because of our sins. Verse 28, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, shall not find me. And this is the reason why, verse 29, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord, folks? Well, Proverbs 8, verse 13 says that the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Verse 30, they would none of my counsel, they despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. So whenever you see fruit in the Bible, in most cases it's referring, in this context, uh, the context of morality is talking about your deeds, what you do. We must bear fruit. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. But the turning away of the simple or the silly shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. You don't want to have the prosperity of a fool. You know, I'd rather be uh, have enough money for my needs and not be a fool than have the riches of this world and be a fool. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whosoever hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. So really, folks, the key to understanding the Bible and the key also um, in reference to dwelling safely is to hearken unto the words of God. And he promises that you will be quiet from the fear of of evil if you do that. My son quoted this uh, particular psalm on uh, on the Sabbath, on Shabbat yesterday. But it's interesting. Psalm 111, verse 10. 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there's a colon, and then it's going to be explained what he's stating here. A good understanding, a good understanding have all they that do. And the King James added his commandments, which is a good addition. His commandments, and even if you don't add that, do. Have all they that do, so you don't sit around and, and think that the sacrifice of Messiah was all that needed to be done and you just do nothing. No, it says right here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endure forever. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And, and please, if, if I'm going too fast for you, you could always replay this broadcast because I'm live right now, but you can always um, replay this broadcast and write down these scriptures and study them. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, colon, explanation. Fear God and keep his commandments. So fearing God has something to do with keeping his commandments, ladies and gentlemen. Another colon. For this is the whole duty of man. This is what life is all about, folks, is keeping his commandments. That's how you fear God. You don't fear God if you don't want to keep his commandments, folks. And when you don't fear God, you don't keep his commandments, and there's curses. That's what happens when you don't keep the commandments. Verse 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The prophet Isaiah prophesied in, in Isaiah chapter, With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yes, with my spirit with, within me will I seek thee early. We should be seeking him early when we get up in the morning. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the earth, world will learn righteousness. That's when, like I said, the common human uh, habit is to come to God when there are judgments in the earth. And that's what's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen, when there's more catastrophe, more disaster. That's when, God, that's when human beings will finally turn to God, unfortunately. But that's what it takes, in most cases, for human beings to, to totally surrender to God and to keep his commandments, folks. That's where we're headed. And here's another prophecy. Uh, I am going to talk about the, uh, I'm doing a Bible study on the book of Revelation, Pergamos Church. I'm going to talk about the Pergamos Church, the Pergamos Assembly, but uh, God from time to time does lead me to talk about other things that I need to talk about at the beginning of this program. So, And I'm just trying to emphasize the fact that we need to believe the entire words of God and we need to take it seriously and tremble before those words, ladies and gentlemen, and, and, and take it seriously. Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 8. Now, this is a prophecy. I want you to pay attention to this. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8. Now go, write it before them in a table. He's telling the book. The, not the book, the prophet Isaiah, the following, in Isaiah 30, verse 8. Now go, write it before them in a table, and note it in a book. The Bible. 
that it may be for the time to come forever and ever, this time, this 21st century. Verse 9, that this is a rebellious, talking about our people, lying children, children that will not hear. They won't hear the instructions of, of the Lord. You know, this is a prophecy. The majority of people on this earth don't want to hear what I preach. Most people don't want to hear what I got to say because I speak the truth. And you say, well, that's an arrogant statement. No, it's not. There are people that God has raised to speak the truth, and I'm one of them. I'm not lying. I would be lying to tell you otherwise. Verse 9, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Um, let's use a little common sense. If he's saying that the, the law of the Lord, or the instruction of the Lord can be heard, obviously there's people preaching so that you can hear. Verse 10, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us. Right thing, prophecy, so it's telling you there are people, there must be prophets, even now, that are preaching, but yet the majority of humankind don't want to listen. Prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, or, you know, things that are what, what we want to hear, not necessarily right, uh, but things that we want to hear. It says prophecy deceits. It's a delusion. And I've, I've heard people tell me, Kennard, don't talk, don't, talk, don't talk about prophecy. And so they're fulfilling this prophecy when they're telling me that, you know, that, you know I, I don't want to hear about that. And, you know, I, you know there, there's other things to focus on. Well, we better <laughs> pay attention to prophecy in this age, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in all likelihood, you're going to be going through a lot of things here that you're going to need the strength of God. You're going to need to understand the Bible to, to endure them. Verse 11, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. And he says right here in verse 12, wherefore thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise his word. You don't want to despise the words of God, folks. You're going to get yourself in trouble. And trust in oppression and perverseness and stay therein. So he's talking about our people today. We do trust in oppression and perverseness. Um, oppression in, in, uh, used uh, here is Oshek in Hebrew. It means uh, fraud, unjust gain. Verse 13, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach, ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. And so... He's saying that we're going to suffer utterly, utter destruction, similar to, let me give you an example, September 11th. <laughs> that that happened, and it was just sudden, and that's what's going to happen to our, our, our people. And if you're listening to me for the first time, I the Lord has led me to preach the truth that our peoples, we are a part of Israel. Um, if you go to www.britam.org, uh, your Davidi has done us all a favor, and he has done uh, studies to identify all the 12 tribes of Israel. When you see Israel in the Bible, please understand this truth, that Israel consists of 12 tribes, and that's in Genesis chapter 49. Um, and the Jews, which is a little land in the Middle East today, that's where they belong, they are the, of the tribe of Judah. The Jews are Israel, but not all of Israel are the Jews. 
And that is a truth that not too many people understand today. And you have in the Messianic circles, uh, uh, they teach this two-house thing, and it's not two-house that the, that, that, that the Lord is concerned with. He's concerned with three groups of people which make up the entire world. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 36 to, to understand that. 30, uh, Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 2. This is another prophecy, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 36, verse 2, who, by the way, is a prophet, was a prophet to the nations, not just Israel. Uh, Jeremiah 36, verse 2, take thee a roll of a book and write there in all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, which is the house of Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations. So he's concerned about everybody. This message is not just for Israel. Uh, the flaw in the two-house teaching is that it just seems to to uh, be partial and to say everyone has to be part of Israel. No, no. It, God is concerned about everyone. He's concerned about every single person on this earth, ladies and gentlemen. He's concerned about Israel. He's concerned about Judah. He's concerned uh, about all the rest of the nations outside of the house of Israel and Judah. The gospel is for everyone not just for the two houses. So let's, let's understand that. But anyway, let's, for those who are listening to me, I know it, it perhaps could be a little difficult, but you need to understand this other scripture, Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah 16. Jeremiah 16. Starting in verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles, the nations, shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers, our past generations, have inherited lies, vanity, and wherein there is no prophecy. This is a prophecy again. This is the prophet Jeremiah. He's a prophet to the nations. Verse 20, Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know I will cause them to know my hand and my might, that they shall know that my name is the Lord, uh, that that the Lord, in most cases in the King James Version, is is, uh, is the translation of Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H, which is the true name of God. And that name, and people can't make up their mind what it is, but it's Yahweh or Yahweh. Uh, uh, um, Yehovah, or Yahovah, Yehovah. You know, people pronounce it certain ways, but um, that is as close as we've gotten to getting the right pronunciation of his name. Of course, uh, there have been certain fellowships that have made a religion out of this, you know, but uh, that's not what religion is. Pure religion, according to the Bible, is in James 1, verse 27, it plainly states that pure religion are undefiled before God is to visit the fatherless and the, and the widows in their affliction. In other words, people that are oppressed, that are in distress, that need help physically, socioeconomically, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. As I was telling somebody the other day, um, that we the people that do discover that they need to keep the Torah and, and the law of God and all the commandments to, to properly fear him, they get too carried away with separating themselves so much from the world. We should do that. But not to the point of where you don't let your light shine, that you don't end the world. Help them to come to God, see, and 
uh, that's what we need to also focus on because that's pure worship when you do that, when you help the poor, when you help people that don't know God so that they can know God. So anyway, that's that's what pure religion is, according to the Lord's brother in James 1, verse 27, if you want to read that. So anyway, I I feel the Lord led me to, to talk about these things. There's 19 minutes here left. Um, I need to go over some news. This program may go, may go over uh, 45 minutes, if so you can listen to this program in the archives. But we will talk about the Pergamus Assembly here uh, later on in this program. What I want to do is talk about some significant events that's happening right now in the world because you need to understand why these events are occurring and what you need to do to make sure you can endure these events uh, as uh, Luke chapter 21 tells us in verse 36, watch and pray that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, in www.watch.org, www.watch, sorry, watch.org, if you can type that in your, uh, if you have access to your PC, and if you don't, you can listen to this program later on and type uh, watch.org. I suggest you review, regularly review this website. Uh, CoinNeague does a very good job of keeping you up to date with what's going on in Jerusalem and how that affects the world. This headline here, John Kerry to Foreign Policy Magazine. I've heard all the arguments from all the pundits on all sides. The conflict is too frozen, it's too complicated as far as this trying to split the land into two, uh, having one section a part of Israel, the other Palestinians, which is totally against what God desires. Um, another headline here says, Kerry, our goal is still a final status agreement. And And... This is interesting here. Um, there has just been a, a, a winter storm, one of the greatest of all time, in Jerusalem, as I'm speaking here. It says, Kerry thanks Israel, Palestinians for snow rescue efforts. Latest Jerusalem estimates approximately 19 inches. Roads to and from Jerusalem finally fully open after storm. Uh, it says, after storm of the century, crippled Jerusalem flows on. This is, has been the storm of the century, the storm of the 21st century that has happened to Jerusalem. According to Jerusalem Mayor Burkott, almost every tree in the city was damaged by the storm. Three days of heavy snowfall lead the capital sidewalks uh, and its streets littered with broken tree limbs. In the wake of three consecutive days of snow, Jerusalem streets are a tangled mess of broken bowls snow drifts, slush, and half-buried cars. An estimate 19 inches fell on a decidedly unprepared capital, stranding vehicles, knocking power out across the city, and bringing businesses and transportation to a halt. So this is interesting, ladies and gentlemen, the comment that Kerry made, and then all the snow, the conflict is too frozen, it's too complicated. Very interesting, ladies and gentlemen. God sometimes uh, does things like this to get our attention. Now, over here in this country, which is a part of Israel, folks, whether you believe it or not, snowstorm focuses on northern New England. 1,000-mile storm area encompass about 110 million people or encompass 
about 110 million people. Snowstorm focuses on northern New England, 1,000-mile storm area, encompass about 110 million people. So it says heavy snow is focusing on northern New England this Sunday, causing even more travel disruptions. The snowstorm has already spanned more than 1,000 miles. Snow has reached every major city and rural area from St. Louis to Boston, including Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and New York City. The area encompasses about 110 million people. Thanks to recent Arctic air making roads and sidewalks much colder compared to previous storms. Enough snow to shovel and plow has occurred in Illinois, Wisconsin, Missouri, and is in store from parts of Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, West Virginia, Virginia, uh, Maryland, and New Jersey to much of Pennsylvania, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. So weather disturbances will continue. I have an article online that I encourage everyone to read. If you go to my website, mercifulserviceofgod.com, go to the menu bar on the left, and if you click down and go all the way down, not click down, but go all the way down to Bible study articles and click that, and then click God and Hurricanes, this article will explain to you the reason why God allows weather disturbances 37, verse 11 to 13. Uh, you can read this in contemporary English version. For clarity's sakes, it says, Rain clouds filled with lightning appear at God's command, traveling across the sky to release their cargo, sometimes as punishment for sin, sometimes as kindness. And so this whole article explains you why he allows weather disturbances, ladies and gentlemen, to get our attention. That's why. That's why. And if we all collectively obeyed him, none of these things would happen. Isaiah chapter 59 explains the following. It says, Behold the Lord's, Isaiah 59 verse 1, Behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So he, he, he can hear you if he wants. Verse 2, But your iniquities, what is iniquity? What is sin, folks? Sin is defined in the Bible in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, as to transgression of the instructions. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. The instructions of God are the law of God. But your iniquities, uh, sinning against the instructions of God, not obeying what he says, has separated between you and your God. That's how you separate yourself from God, folks, when you don't obey him. That's how you separate yourself from him. And your sins have hid his face. If you don't know what iniquities mean, that's what it means, sins. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So if you want God to hear you, folks, you must obey him. He will listen to you if you obey him. He won't if you don't. And he will allow all these curses and weather disturbances. Verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity and your lips have spoken lies and your tongue is muttered. Your tongue is muttered perverseness. None call for justice nor pleaded for the truth. The majority don't want to know the truth. They can't handle it. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. This is a prophetic book and God better than us knows how we will act in these end times, folks. So anyway, world news right now and a little domestic news. 
So we're going to get into, oh, there's something else I wanted to talk about here. Um, Karnik, he sends us newsletters. You should get on his newsletter list so when you go to watch.org. But this is interesting here. He talks about the countdown to 2014 and 2015. And then he quotes some scriptures that we should all remember about watching uh, and praying that you be counted worthy to escape all these things and so forth. Anyway, uh, in the subheading here of his uh, email, he says, unprecedented times. We are moving into unprecedented times in Israel, the Middle East, and the United States. Today, all the final day markers are in play, and I agree it is. Moreover, never before has it been more important to stay informed and wisely prepare for the days ahead. We, we can't, you know, these are the days of Noah. Uh, rampant homosexuality is, is, is about to explode in this country and around the world. Uh, the days of Lot, in, in Luke chapter 26, he tells us that this, the time of his second coming will be similar to the days of Lot. And, and, and our days are similar to the days of Lot, where there's rampant homosexuality and to the point of uh, endorsing same-sex marriage. But anyway, um, that's one of the, the final day markers that are in play. Uh, the blood-red moons of the first day of Passover and Sukkot in both 2014 and 2015 constitute the eighth time that this has happened in back-to-back years on Passover and Sukkot. Uh, Sukkot is the Festival of Tabernacles since Jesus Christ's birth. The last three times were at the time of the 1967 Six-Day War, the 1948-49 War of Independence, and the two years following the last year of the Spanish Inquisition, which ended in 1492. So in 1492, 1948-1949, and the 1967 Six-Day War, which were all significant Jewish or tribe of Judah events, remember the tribe of Judah is a part of, of the 12 tribes of Israel, but they are not all of Israel. On the financial front, the stock market collapse of Elu 29, that's a Hebrew name for uh, a month of the calendar, of the Jewish calendar, September 17, 2001, occurred on the first day of trading following the September 11, 2001 World Trade Center and Pentagon terror attacks or events. On that day, the Dow Jones Industrial Average suffered its worst point loss in history. Seven years later, on ELU 29-57-68, September 30, 2008, so you have September 17, 2001, a major event happened in world history, and then September 30, 2008, another major event in world history occurred. $1.2 trillion vanished from the United States stock market and turned into Wall Street's blackest day since the 1987 crash. The Dow Jones Industrial, interestingly, I underscore interestingly, fell Seven, seven, seven points. Now, the book of Revelation, a big revelation, consists of seals, trumpets, and plagues. They, there are seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven plagues. Again, I repeat, in the book of Revelation, there are seven seals, seven plagues, and seven trumpets. Seven, seven, seven. You think that God wasn't telling us something here? On September 30th, 2008, when the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 777 points, folks, well, he was, because around that time, it's the Festival of Trumpets, which is a time of judgment, folks. That's why we have to learn how to keep those commandments, and part of keeping those commandments is keeping the holy days, 
which help us understand the plan of God, folks. Anyway, the stock market collapse led to a major banking crisis and the U.S. government's $700 billion troubled asset relief program, TARP, that's the acronym, bailout that had ripple effects throughout the U.S. economy. Are uh, living in interesting times, ladies and gentlemen. And remember what the Bible states about these end times. And Joel, let's turn to Joel. Because uh, you say, well, what is the significance of the blood red moons? Well, we're about to find out here. I can turn to this scripture here. Joel 2, verse 31, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. That's a red moon. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. So when you see these blood red moons, that's telling you that we are living in the times of the day of the Lord, folks. It's fast approaching when you see that many blood red moons. We have more of a occurrence of blood red moons here in the 20th and 21st centuries which means that the time of his coming is nearing, folks. So that's the reason why it's significant to look at. And I'm going to closely pay attention to this and uh, and warn you of these things because he tells us to watch. And in Genesis 1, verse 14, he put, let's, let's read that, Genesis 1, verse 14. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs. Signs, okay? And that means, as a, it means uh, in Hebrew, signs, as a flag, a beacon, evidence, okay? So the, the lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs. So it's for signs. It gives us an indication of what's going on, and for the seasons, and for days, and for years. So that's why we need to pay attention to the blood red moon. That's why Yeshua or Jesus told us to watch and pray so that we won't be surprised when all these things happen. Okay, so in the remaining uh, five minutes I have, well, I needed to go over these things. They were very important. But anyway, I'm going to go off the air in, in, in approximately five minutes, um, and I should be done, I'm hoping, by 11 o'clock is 1041 right now, so you can listen to the, the rest of the program in, in its entirety after I'm, I'm done. That's what most people do anyway. They they don't they they download the program, and and um, but I, I want that to happen. I, I would like for this program to be distributed to uh, social media networks. Uh, it's entirely free. Of course, I accept your donations if you ha- have it in your heart to give, but. I'm not really focusing on getting money from folks. I, I really, truly uh, want to get this message out. Uh, I believe God is inspiring me to, to get this message out on Blog Talk Radio to as many people as possible that, that, that he's calling and waking up. And uh, this is a great responsibility that I have, and I don't take it lightly. So anyway, let's t- take a look at the Pergamus Assembly. I've been doing a Bible study on the book of Revelation. And uh, I feel that God is leading me to do this because we really don't have a lot of time left before things really get bad, folks. 
So I, I, I really need to get this message out because I don't know how long I'll be able to do what I'm doing. I'm fully aware of what could happen. So, But I'm not going to be cut off the air unless God wants me to be cut off the air. So what is the doctrine of Balaam and what is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, folks? Um, people are confused in particular about what the doctrine of Nicolaitans is, and I'm going to hopefully unconfuse you today. But uh, in the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, book of Revelation, chapter 2, starting in verse 12, says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things which he says he which have the sharp sword with the two edges. That's, that's a characteristic of the Messiah. I know thy works. Well, first of all, let's understand what that sword is, because many people just don't—they just don't seem to understand what he's talking about there. So, in Hebrews chapter four, gives you the Bible definition of the sword symbolically. Hebrews four verse twelve: For the word of God, and Yeshua is the word of God, folks. <laughs> he's the literal word of God, and of course, his words are, which is the Father's words, are in the Bible. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So it is linked with a two-edged sword. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. All right? So when you look at the sword of the spirit, it's talking about the word of God, folks. And that word of God does pierce the spirit and the, and the joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You, so you can't, you know, you compare yourself to the Word of God. It, it'll filter you. It'll get your the wickedness, all the, all the wickedness that we all have in us. It'll get get it out. That's what it will do, folks. And so, getting back to Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two. Uh, getting back to where he says the, the sharp sword. It's not just a sword, it's a sharp sword. <laughs> and uh, let me read to you what John Gill, Hebrew scholar, says about this. He said, this title is used partly to show that the only weapon this church and the true ministers and members of it had to defend themselves against the growing corruption of Antimessiah, who in this interval rose up by degrees and was revealed and came to the height of his power, was the word of God, the scriptures of truth. And so he understands this, of course, to be the scriptures of truth. Verse 13 says, I know thy works. Again, he, he, he expects the assembly or the people of God to have works, to, to bear fruit, to do something. And where thou dwellest, where Satan's seat is. Okay, so this particular church back then, uh, the devil dwelled there. And it states here in the John Gill commentary, Pergamus was a city very much given to idolatry. And here Satan reigned while it was pagan. And so was a fit emblem of the idolatrous church of Rome. All right, so... Uh, that's what it's referring to. And has not denied my faith even in these days where Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Satan certainly dwells, folks, uh, 
in 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 this area. He he dwells in area any area where people don't want to obey the commandments, folks. And you know the Roman Catholic Church is rampant with idolatry. They it, it's just um, it's just terrible. Anyway, verse fourteen. But I have a few things against thee because thou has there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. And this is sad, but this is this definitely happened. And, and let me uh, read the commentary from John Gill, Hebrew scholar. It says, which later was in order to the former, the instruction Balaam gave to Balak, which is here called his doctrine, was that Balak should get some of the most beautiful women in his kingdom to apply the men of Israel and draw them into uncleanness and so to idolatry, by which means God being angry with them, he might get an advantage over them that the Israelites did commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab and eat things, sacrifice the idols, and bow down to Baal Peor. This is found in Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. But that... This was brought about through the council of Balaam is not so plainly expressed, though it is hinted at Numbers 31, verse 15. So, and so, some of the Jewish uh, writers, they stated the following about Balaam. It says, Come, and I will counsel thee, speaking to Balak, go and set up ends and place them in whorish women to sell food and drink at low price, and this people will come and eat and drink and be drunken and will lie with them and deny their God, and they will uh, be quickly delivered into thy hands, and many of them shall fall. This now was the stumbling block he taught Balak to lay before them, and elsewhere it is said that Balaam, the wicked, gave counsel to Balak, the son of Zippor, to call the Israelites to fall by the sword. He said to them, The God of this people hates whoredom, cause thy daughters to commit whoredom with them, and you should and you shall rule over them. I mean, this is interesting what he's telling this particular church, but he's telling all of us, even in this end time, to avoid idolatry and fornication, folks. Verse 15. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. All right, so this is what John Gill says about the Nicolaitans. He says, These impure heretics sprung up in the time of the apostolic church, but their doctrines were not received and their deeds were hated. This seems to design the doctrines of the Church of Rome, which in this period took place, which forbid marriage to the priests. It recommended celibacies and virginity to others, also which were the source of all uncleanness and abominable lust, for which pardons and indulgences were given, and in the process of time, brothel houses were set up and licensed and encouraged by authority which thing I hate. Now, let's understand, because people, you have certain Torah teachers teaching about the Nicolaitans and saying that, uh, let me just read to you what the Word Study uh, Bible says about this, the Word Study, the Complete Word Study Dictionary, which I recommend each and every one of you get. is a very good uh, source. It, it breaks down certain words and gives you uh, where those other words are used, and it gives you the Greek and, and Hebraic understanding of those words. Anyway, I'm reading this from the Complete Word Study Dictionary. It says, Nicolaitans, an inherit a Nicholas, or Nicolaitan, an ancient sect whose deeds were expressly strongly reprobate. This is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 6, and Revelation uh, 2, verse 15. Some have supposed that they were the followers of Nicholas, 
Acts 6, verse 5, one of the first deacons of the church, which they regard as having apostatized uh, from the true faith. For this view, however, there is no authority. Others regard the term Nicolaitans as a symbolic expression, since Nicholas means victor of the people. So that's what uh, Nicholas means. It means victor of the people, and Balaam means devourer of the people. The two in symbolic unity signify religious seducers of the people. It is more probable that the Nicolaitans were identical with those who held the doctrine of Balaam, mentioned in Revelation 2, verse 14, and 2 Peter 2, verse 15. And 2 Peter 2, verse 15 states, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Berserk, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So that likely the Nicolaitans practiced fornication and the eating of things sacrificed to idols while outwardly professing Christianity. So the Nicolaitans are not just people that rule over you harshly. It's people also that, that encourage great sin, fornication, spiritual and physical, and, and idolatry, not believing in the true God. So that that's also the doctrine of Nicolaitans. It's not just ruling over the people. It's also teaching the people not to obey the laws of God. That is also the doctrine of Nicolaitan. So let's let's understand what it truly means. Now, the doctrine of Nicolaitan does not mean it has not rulership in the church, folks. And, and some people, uh, I guess a good bunch of people, have been deceived by, by certain Torah teachers that have not clearly defined Nicolaitanism like I have. Not that I'm anything special. I'm just... Uh, going in a more into detail about what Nicolaitan is, what it means, uh, they seem to think that there's no rulership or, or no no leadership in the churches, and there is, ladies and gentlemen. Yeshua, in Matthew chapter 22, let's go there because I've covered this earlier because he mentioned this in, in another uh, candlestick uh, that we're studying here, but in Matthew chapter 22. Actually, no, it's not in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, let me find it here. Uh, no, it's in Matthew somewhere here. Well, he tells us how he wants people, how there should be authority in the uh, churches. So anyway, let me see if I can find this here using my concordance here. Uh, it's in Matthew. Let's see. Here we go. I think it's Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And I'm still looking for this other scripture where he talks about. Here we go. Yeah, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew, remember this. Matthew chapter 20 is where he, and in other places, but Matthew chapter 20 is a good place to start. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Matthew 20, verse 25. But, but Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And so that's part of being a Nicolaitan. You just dominate and control and oppress. And that's what he's talking about here. 
that Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they are great, they that are great exercise authority upon them. Verse 26, but it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or deacon or servant. That's what this means in, in Greek. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto you, but to minister, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So uh, it's not that there's not leadership in the church, folks. And also, let's understand that, that there can be a church service at home. Uh, you have people that are deceived into thinking, well, we got these worldly churches. Uh, that means there's no authority. Oh, we can do whatever we want. And when we, when we gather around in someone's home, there's no authority. <laughs> well, that's not, that's not what it says here. In Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 5, it says, Likewise, greet the church or assembly that is in their house. All right? So there is assembly, and there was assembly, and it continues to be assembly even in these end times, in homes. And there should be, just like a, a regular family, or a family should have structure in their home, there should be structure when the spiritual family of God gathers in someone's home, ladies and gentlemen. That's just common sense, which, if you don't obey the commandments, you, you won't have it. You won't, <laughs> you won't be able to tap into the common sense that God gives us when you are rebellious, because you don't think straight. But anyway, in Romans 16, verse 5, in other parts, of the Bible, I'm trying to find these scriptures where it plainly reveals that there is um, an assembly in the home. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, the churches of Asia salute you, Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church or assembly that is in their house. Uh, Colossians 4, verse 15, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nephus and the church which is in his house. Philemon, um, yeah, Philemon, that's an epistle I don't think it's read too too much, but <laughs> in Philemon it says, and to our beloved Epha, Epha, I think, Aphia, I think it's Aphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, our fellow soldier, rather, and to the church in thy house. So I think it's four times that the scripture says there there was assemblies in the homes, and the reason why there were assemblies in homes back then, ladies and gentlemen, was because uh, let's remember that Christianity, what, what, what people call Christianity, really should be called uh, uh, I don't know another word for it, but uh, following the Messiah, um, Yeshuaites. <laughs> anyway, uh, believers of, of the Torah of the instructions of God, believers, those who keep the commandments of, of Yah and have the testimony of Yeshua, those, those are the true believers of, of God. Um, they had structure in their homes, ladies and gentlemen. They had fellowship in their homes. And they were getting kicked out of the Jewish synagogue. That's what I was trying to say. And so where could they fellowship? They had the fellowship in their home. I don't think people understand that. And that's happening today. People are getting kicked out of churches or organized, structured churches. And nothing wrong to having a church building, but if you get kicked out of the church building, where are you going to fellowship at? In someone's home. Okay? And when you have an assembly in a home, you still have authority, folks, that you must follow. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 7, remember them that have rule over you, 
and this is loving rule, not, not harsh rule, who have spoken unto you the word of God. So those who have spoken unto you and taught you the word of God, they rule over you. They have more authority over you. What is their authority? Their authority is the word of God. Okay? Uh, rule over in Greek means hag on a and it means command, chief, all right, have rule over you. But there but but in the church structure there's elders that rule over you. It's not just one chief elder that rules over everyone, all right? Now, an exceptional case is if if you have someone that's an elder and he's just starting a an assembly in the area and he's the only one qualified to teach. Well, in that situation he should quickly um, get some people and train them that have the ability to be elders. And they'll be elders in training, not officially elders yet, but they're elders in training. They certainly can be leaders, of course, um, but, but they're still elders in training. But the emphasis should be that to have leaders, not just one chief leader leading over everyone else, and that's the structure of the Catholic Church, which is Nicolaitan, and that's what we need to get away from. All right, so remember them, in Hebrews 13, verse 7, remember them that which have rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. So that tells you who the people, the people that, that are qualified to teach the word of God are the ones that, that rule over you, have authority over you, whose faith follow, considering the end of conversation. So authority does not end, folks. Uh, there's only one being in the entire universe that does not obey anyone, and that's God the Father. <laughs> so let's understand that. And then in verse 8, the context of this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in Galatians 2, verse 20, it says that this great being's spirit should live in us. And so he doesn't change. So we have a spirit that doesn't change, and it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, and then if he was keeping the Torah, which he was in the first century, he's certainly going to be keeping the Torah through you, in the 21st century. Hebrews 13, verse 9, Be not carried about with various and strange doctrines. Okay? And so this is important that in verse 9 it says, Be not carried away with various and strange doctrines, because there's many out there, even among the Messianic circles and the Christian, some of the, the few Christian churches uh, that preach that we should keep all the commandments. There's various strange doctrines out there. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied there. But anyway, I want you to focus more on be not carried away with various and strange doctrines, folks, or teachings. In the context of understanding that Yeshua and Messiah is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The law has not been nailed to the cross. Okay? And in Hebrews 13, verse 17, obey them that have rule over you. And in this context, is talking about uh, people that, that teach the word of God and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief but that is unprofitable for you and lately I've been doing it with grief uh, <laughs> uh, boy it, it, it's just it's just sad it's just it's just really sad but it's, it's, it's important to understand that in any type of organization, that there is leadership and rulership. And if you don't understand that, you're going to have difficulty. 
So, so that that's you, you should not only obey those authority in the church, the elders. Right here, um, when Gil says, "Submit yourself to the laws of, of Messiah." as put in the execution by them into their censures and reproofs, as delivered by the authority of the church or the assembly. The authority of the assembly are the elders, for they are the spiritual fathers, and children should obey their parents and to submit to them that they are ambassadors of Christ, stand in this deed and represent them. Okay? And, and then in First Peter, First Peter chapter 5, Verse 1, the elders, so again, it's, it's not just one chief elder. The elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. That's our responsibility is to feed the flock. The flock of God are those who aren't elders. They're sheep which is among you, taking the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy liqueur. Okay, let's... let's Read this in, a, in another version here, the 1965 Bible and Basic English Version. Keep watch over the flock of God which is in your care, First Peter 5, verse 2, using your authority not as forced to do so, but gladly and not for unclean profit, but with a ready mind. Verse 3, not as lords over God's heritage, but making yourselves examples to the flock. All right? And at the coming of the chief keeper of the sheep, you will be given the eternal crown of glory. So there's no chief shepherds, there's no bishops, chief bishops. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church is an example of being in Nicolaitan, uh, having one head person ruling over you. Uh, that's not the way it should be done, folks. All right? So but uh, let's understand what the doctrine of Nicolaitan is. It's not just uh, the rulership structure of the Catholic Church and uh, other churches where you have one head pastor but it's also teaching the people not to obey the laws of God and, and encouraging the people to fornicate and, and, and commit idolatry. And, and what is idolatry, folks? Idolatry is simply not obeying God. You know, it, it's not obeying God. That's what idolatry is. And, and, and you need to repent of that. First, Samuel, to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, readings in the King James Version. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So whenever you rebel and don't want to obey, it's like witchcraft to God. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. The stubbornness is not, you don't want to obey. Because thou hast rejected the word of God. So when you reject the word of God, it's rebellion, which is like witchcraft. Is being stubborn, and it's like idolatry when you don't obey him. And because thou hast rejected the word of God, he has rejected thee. So if you reject the word of God, which is the entire Bible, you're committing idolatry. And that's what Nicolaitans do. They encourage you not to believe the word of God. And I'm, I'm, I'm really emphasizing this because this is one of the really bad characteristics of the assemblies in this end time that we have to repent of. We have to be willing to obey the law of God. A Nicolaitan not only rules over you harshly and wants to be chief over you, but also teaches you not to believe the word of God. In effect, teaching you idolatry. And that's something that you have to run away from, folks. 
Again, a Nicolaitan is someone who, who wants to be chief over you, but also teaches you to commit idolatry by rejecting the word of God. It teaches you to reject or not to believe the word of God, to believe his words, or in some cases, her words, when women act like they're, uh, they can be apostles and, and, and uh, run assemblies, which there's nowhere in the Bible that that's the case. And, you know, women use Deborah to, to say, hey, that is the norm, not, not the exception. And Deborah, and I'm going to, when we get to um, another uh, candlestick uh, in this Bible study examining the, the, the seven churches or the assemblies, uh, I'm going to talk in length about the spirit of Jezebel. And I'm going to talk about Deborah, the Deborah exception in that Bible study. But anyway, we have to understand that Nicolaitanism is not just being chief and wanting to rule harshly over you religiously, but also teaching you not to obey the word of God, which is defined as idolatry, gentlemen. So let's let's understand that and and let's avoid teachers that encourage you not to believe all the words of God. If you don't do that, you're going to be deceived. And you're not going to uh, believe the word of God. All right? So let's turn back to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, chapter 2. So another thing that I want to focus on, uh, I didn't know this Bible study would be this long, but uh, this is a very important Bible study because I want you to really understand and get what he's saying here. All right, uh, this is important to understand. These are the messages uh, to the churches in the 21st century as well as back in that century because uh, these messages are for all the churches. And, and if you listen to these words and, and do what he says, then, then you're going to make it, folks. You're going to make it. So now you understand why the Messiah hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans because the doctrine of Nicolaitans teaches you to not want to obey the word of God commit idolatry, physical and spiritual fornication. And it also teaches you to be a puppet under a chief that rules you with cruelty. Similar to Jeremiah, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1. This is a prophecy. This is a Nicolaitan. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor says the Lord. Verse 2, Therefore thus says the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. You have scattered, how do we feed them? By teaching you the word of God. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away. And this is not talking about the true pastor of God that is preaching the word of God and the people don't want to listen. This is talking about a false pastor of God that is just teaching you to commit idolatry by encouraging you to believe the words of God. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, says the Lord. Verse 3, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries whither I have driven them and will bring them again into their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. I'm one of them, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to lie and tell you otherwise. Okay, And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, says the Lord. 
So you continue to listen to me, I, I will be able to feed you and give you what you need, all right, to, to get close to God. Uh, God prophesied that there would be some people, even in this end time, that will have the proper teaching to teach others the word of God. Let's turn to um, Ezekiel chapter 34. Verse 1, the, the description of Nicolaitan again. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Ezekiel 34, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy, saying to them, Thus says the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel. Now I explain to you that the United States has everything to do with Israel. We are a part of the tribes of Israel. We are the tribe of Manasseh. Uh, part of the uh, Joseph children, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh are linked together. Whoa! If you need more explanation about that, go to www.britam.org and be amazed. Woe to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. That's what the Nicolaitans do. They feed themselves. They're concerned about making money. They're always asking you for money. Uh, they, they have great marketing campaigns, selling their books and literature uh, to get money from you. They fleece the flock. Woe to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Ye eat the fat, and you clothe you with the wool. You kill them that are fed. You feed not the flock. You don't teach them the words of God. You teach them your own words. Verse 4, the disease have you not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick by laying your hands on them and asking that God would heal the individual as we are instructed to do as elders in James chapter 5. You eat the fat and you clove, and ye clove you with the wool, you kill them that are fed, you feed not the flock. Verse 4, the disease have you not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you bought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have you ruled over them. So it's not the fact that an elder doesn't rule over the flock, is that the elder should rule with love and kindness, not with cruelty. And then what is happening in this end time, you have people that are scattered because there's no shepherd, and they became all meat to the beast of the field, when they were scattered. And, and that's what's going on right now. You have people that are, that God is calling to understand the truth, and, 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 they, and, they, and they're just seeking all kinds of, 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 of shepherds, and they don't know whether or not they're shepherds, true shepherds or not. And that's the reason why I feel the Lord is leading me to write a booklet or a pamphlet, an e-book called The Basic Doctrines of Almighty God. And in there, there, I'm going to give you scriptures to look up for yourself so that you can understand the basic doctrines of God. What are the basic doctrines of God? It's in Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 2. The first doctrine is repentance from dead works, meaning that you have to do something. The second doctrine is trust in God or faith in God. The third doctrine is the doctrine or teaching of washings. The fourth is the laying on of hands which means that there is a structure and authority in the assembly of God. The fifth doctrine is the resurrection of the dead, which really is 
has everything to do with the entire plan of God for mankind. And six, the sixth major doctrine is the judgments of God, eternal judgment, which prophecy has something to do with that because prophecy, uh, a lot of it has to do with the judgments or how God will judge this earth. And so those are the major doctrines of God, and I don't hear Torah teachers, I don't hear hardly any of them, in a way that it helps them to understand what are the major teachings of God. You have to have the foundation to be able to get to meet folks. And I find that a lot of people aren't, they don't have the proper foundation, and that's why they're deceived. And you say, well, Kennard, you're acting like you you know all this and all that. Well, look, folks, I challenge you. You prove whether or not I'm wrong. You you look up these scriptures for yourself that I quote, and you listen to me. It's like I you know I know one individual that called me, and I spent two hours on the phone with this individual, and then later on I I, I submit a document proving that the Sabbath uh, should be kept and that we should fellowship as much as possible on on the Shabbat, and this individual gets all upset about it, and then states in a letter that. This individual wrote to me that I knew, uh, you know, I, I had you in check and and so forth, and and, and and that's the reason why I didn't listen to your program. Well, I, I can t- tell you this: you, you didn't listen to my program, and it shows. That's the reason why you're in the situation you're in right now, thinking that you don't have to fellowship on the Shabbat. You don't have to fellowship on the Shabbat, as as the Lord commands us to do every Shabbat. You read an article to encourage you not to do that. And that article is a very good article, but it, 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 it has some truth in it, but it will deceive an individual like you who is a sheep that is not qualified to teach the Word of God. There's, there's certain people that are qualified to teach the Word of God. There's certain people who are not. Not everyone can be a teacher. And, that, and that's another common trend that I see. Everyone wants to be a teacher. Everyone wants to teach somebody. And you know what? Everyone can be a teacher. Women can be teachers. And who should you teach? The Bible tells you. You should teach other women. That's what you should be primarily teaching. Men who aren't qualified to be elders, you should be teaching your sons and teaching other young men and being an example to them. But not everybody can be a biblical teacher, folks. All right? I'm going to prove that to you here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have to humble ourselves and realize that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. This is another thing. This is another scripture that proves there's authority in the assemblies, despite what some people are incorrectly teaching. Um, and God has set some in the assembly, first apostles, Secondly, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Verse 29, are, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? No. Okay, so have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. So this scripture is telling you that not everyone has these abilities. But everyone is important in the assembly, and everyone should be treated equally in the assembly. 
In verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to those that lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that members should have the same care for one another. And there's partiality among the Messianic groups. And there's, there's partiality in the Protestant churches. There's, 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 there's partiality in most assemblies or churches in, in America, folks, and around the world. They don't have this attitude in verse 26, the majority of them, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. But there is a, a, a rank of authority or priority of ministries, I should say, among the elders. First, apostles. Secondly, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings. So there's priority in service, not the person, but the service that they do. And because of that, you respect their service, the service of an apostle. Uh, secondarily, the service of a prophet. Thirdly, the service of a teacher. After that, miracles. So there's priority uh, as far as the service, respecting their service. All right. That's not a Bible study. But there is there's some kind of authority structure among the elders as far as respecting their responsibilities. But anyway, um, I just want you to understand that in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm spending some time, the Lord is leading me to spend more time than I thought on this, because this is very important. Ephesians chapter 4, that you understand this. Now, why did he give, in verse Ephesians 4, verse 11, it only confirms what he was saying here. He gave some, not everyone, apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So he gave some people the ability to do these things, all right? Not everyone. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Messiah. Till we all come into the unity of the faith. And how do you unify? You assemble. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, until a perfect man, into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And that's what's going on. I mean, the positive thing about the Internet is that it does have the truth out there. But when you have people that are just coming new into the faith and they don't understand how to properly uh, use the Bible and study the Bible, which the Basic Doctrines of God um, e-book will explain how to do basic Bible study, they will be easily deceived. Like I told you, this, this one individual or other individuals, I would say individuals because not just this person, but other people have been deceived that Leviticus 23 verse 3 is not, is not talking about assembling. That's one of the most false doctrines of all time as far as I'm concerned because when you stand the Jews, how in the world have the Jews been able to stay together? It's because of the Shabbat and keeping the holy days. They, they understand the importance of assembling. And our Lord and Savior did it. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he assembled regularly on the Shabbat, and Paul did that. And we are to do the same. And then people try to use the fact that he fasted for, for uh, 40 days and say, hey, you don't have to assemble. Well, he didn't assemble for a good reason, folks. He was fasting. And I guarantee the people that preach this false doctrine are not fasting on the Shabbat like he did. And when you fast on the Shabbat, when you understand it, that's doing something good on the Shabbat, which is acceptable. Okay? So 
and I and I did a thorough study on this on on my uh, blog. You should go to it. And the the latest. Uh, let me go to the blog here real quick. But you need to study this because this is a, a really great deception that's going on uh, about assembling. And, and, of course, the devil wants to encourage the people of God not to assemble because how can they learn? How can they grow uh, if they don't assemble? See, uh, the Merciful Letters, uh, my blog, www.mercifulletters.com, the current article that I have on there, which I wrote September 28th, does Yeshua fasting for 40 days and 40 nights prove we are not commanded to assemble on the Shabbat? No, it does not. And I go into detail and prove this using common sense in the scriptures, that we must assemble. Now, of course, there's times when we can't do that, justifiable times, but but no, according to the example of the Messiah, we must assemble on the Shabbat when we can. That's how we grow. You can't grow. I mean, we're supposed to do works, right? How can you do works if you don't have anybody to do works with? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You can't just do works with your family. Uh, you don't grow. You don't grow greatly by just giving to your family, your immediate family. You have to branch out, folks. Luke 4, verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Shabbat and stood up for to read. You know, And, and that's what he did on a consistent basis. And, and if you divide 7 into 40, he only missed Shabbat services just five times his entire life fellowshipping with people. So he kept the Sabbath 99.5% of the time by fellowshipping with people, and we should do the same. Because in 1 John 2, verse 6, it says that we should follow our Messiah's example. And see, this is a doctrine of Nicolaitan, folks. When, and here, you get these individuals telling me that I'm being a Nicolaitan. No, they're being Nicolaitans. They want to rule over me. They want to, whenever we sin, we want to rule over God, okay? And they want to be chief over me. They call themselves trying to correct me. No, they're the ones that act acting Nicolaitan because they don't want to believe the entire words of God. They don't want to believe the entire words of God. They're committing idolatry, and they need to repent. And I hope they are listening to this so they do repent. Now, a shepherd of God in the book of Malachi is defined as the following, folks. Malachi. And I don't think it's a coincidence, an accidental occurrence, that my middle name is Levi, or Levi, folks. Now, I don't mention that too often, but sometimes I have to to um, magnify my office as an elder. Because some people get smart aleck and don't respect me as they should. Now, I can't force you to respect me, but I can sure enough prove to you that I am an elder. I can do that. Uh, Malachi 2, verse 4. And you shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And Levi is symbolic of a minister or a Torah teacher because the Levites teach the word of God. Verse 5, my covenant was with him of life and peace. And the covenant or the agreement that God made with Israel and eventually the entire world is that if you obey my commandments, I will give you life and peace. In Psalm 119, verse 165, it says, nothing shall offend anyone if they keep the law, if they keep the law. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear where if he feared me, and what's the fear? 
has everything to do with keeping the commandments, ladies and gentlemen. You have to keep the commandments of God. Fear God and keep the commandments. That's how you fear him, by keeping the commandments, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse uh, 13 to 14. That's how you fear God, by keeping his commandments, folks. You don't fear God if you don't keep his commandments. You don't. All right, so... All right, so in verse 4 of Malachi chapter 2, And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant might be with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherein he feared me and was afraid before my name. He was afraid of him because he kept the law. And I'm afraid of God. I respect him. I don't tremble like, eh, eh, but I, I fear I don't want any curses to happen. <laughs> and I want the good things to happen to me. That's why I obey him. Verse 6, the law of truth was in his mouth. So a true Torah teacher, a minister, the law of truth, that's what the law is. It's about truth, ladies and gentlemen, was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. That doesn't mean he's perfect, but whenever he does sin, he quickly repents. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. So an elder, a true elder of God, will turn many away from iniquity eventually. Verse 7, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's what I am. A Torah teacher, an elder, is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And you must respect those messengers, and if you don't, bad things will happen to you. Talk about also, it's another thing I need to bring out about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and Balaam. Uh, this is a plague of end time ministry, uh, of ministry in the end times, folks. And, and this insistence on buying literature and buying books and all that, I mean, it, it's just, uh, I understand having a school and you charge fees for uh, religious instruction. But when you get to the point of selling literature and selling books and all that, God, he just doesn't like that, folks. All right, and, and that and that's something that Balaam did, and we we must avoid that. We must avoid that type of. Uh, uh, and this is interesting that he links. Well, in the context of the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is also linked with that. <laughs> so, uh, in this context, and that that's very interesting here that um, that he's talking about both in the same context. But anyway, <clears throat> let's look a little closer here at the doctrine of Balaam in the area of uh, in the area of uh, <clears throat> preaching for money, because that's what um, Balaam did. He uh, preached for money. And that's something that uh, the Lord did not like. He did not like him doing that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he did not like him uh, preaching for money. And so I'm trying to find a scripture where it talks about that in detail. I know in Second, I think it's in Second Peter, Second Peter chapter two, right? He talks about. Um, 
unrighteous people in the assembly. In verse one, he prophesied here, uh, Peter. But there were false. But there were false. In Second Peter two, verse one. But there were false prophets among, also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. There's, there's false teachers in the assembly, ladies and gentlemen, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, how do you deny the Lord by not obeying the words, folks? Yeah, I, I, it's all kind of crazy doctrines that I've heard and I continue to hear to this day that are crazy. Second uh, Peter 2, verse 1, but there were false prophets among you. I'm reading this in the, uh, in the uh, 1965 Bible and basic English version. But there were false prophets among the people, as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly put forward wrong teachings for your destruction, even turning away from the Lord who gave himself for them, whose destruction will come quickly, and they themselves will be the cause of it. And a great number will go with them in their evil ways, though whom the true way will have a bad name. And in their desire for profit to make money, they will come to you with words of deceit, like traders doing business in souls, whose punishment has been ready for a long time and the destruction is watching for them. For And here we go. This is in the context. This is a Nicolaitan here teaching false doctrine. And in the context of that, desiring profit. And this is the kind of prophet that God doesn't want ministers to do. They, they, they write these booklets and they look nice. You can't judge a book by its cover, but unfortunately many people do. And, and they think it's true because it looks nice. Or you have slick PowerPoint presentations. Oh, this must be true because it looks great. Wow. No, no, no. You have to read between the lines, folks. And see, he's talking about these people in, in the context of Sodom and Gomorrah and, 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 and Noah's world. Verse 4, for if God did not have pity for the angels who did evil, but sent them down into hell to be kept in chains of eternal night until they were judged, and did not have mercy on the world, which was then, but only kept safe Noah, a preacher of righteousness. And, you know, Noah preached for 120 years, and only seven people heard him, folks. Those are the times that we're living in today. With seven others, when he let loose the waters over the world of the evildoers. Over the world of the evildoers. And what did Yeshua say? He said that in Leviticus, in that, not Leviticus, Luke chapter 17, verse, starting at verse 26, that, uh, hold your place here in Second Peter chapter 2. Let's turn to Luke chapter 17. I'm really trying to explain this to you, folks. You understand how wicked this world is, because I don't think many people understand it. Luke 17, verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the day of the Son of Man. Verse 27, they were feasting and taking wives and getting married to the day of the overflowing of waters when Noah went into the ark and they all came to destruction. In the same way, in the days of Lot, they were feasting and trading, they were planning and building, but on that day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire came down from heaven and destruction came on them all, so will it be in the day of the revelation of the Son of Man, or the coming of the Son of Man. And so he's telling you that this 21st century is similar to the days of Noah and Lot. It truly is. In verse 6 of Second Peter chapter 2, And sent destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning them up with fire as an example to those whose way of life might in the future be unpleasing to him. This is a future prophecy, folks. Verse 7, And kept safe Lot, the upright man, who was deeply troubled by the unclean life of the evildoer. If, you're not, if you are not disturbed by all the rampant homosexuality and the, and the wickedness of this world, folks, you're in trouble. If you don't, if you're not deeply troubled by this, 
Because Lot was deeply troubled, and we should be deeply troubled by the wickedness of this world, folks. Verse 8, because the soul of that upright man living among them was pained from day to day by seeing and hearing their crimes. And he was called righteous Lot. And righteousness, folks, is defined as keeping the commandments. In Psalm 119, verse 172, verse 9, the Lord is able to keep the upright safe in the time of testing and to keep evildoers under punishment to the day of judging. So, you know, we have to understand, folks, uh, what Nicolaitanism, again, is, is. Is people, yes, ruling over you, wanting to be chief over you, but it's also people who teach incorrect doctrines and teach you not to obey the word of God. That's a Nicolaitan as well. Nicolaitans also, uh, they teach incorrect doctrines and they want to charge money for you to buy those doctrines, folks. And, and and I have to preach the truth about that because that, that is rampant among America especially and, and, and also in certain parts around the world. And Second Peter 2 verse 15 says, Turning out of the true way, they have gone wandering in error after the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who was pleased to take payment for wrongdoing. You know, he doesn't want us to take payment for wrongdoing, for preaching false doctrines, folks. That 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 is the problem. That is the problem, and he doesn't want us to to charge for literature anyway. We should, you know, understand at cost, as long as you're not making a profit. But you should get to a point where you don't even do that. I don't choose to do that, and I never will. Okay, I, I'm not going to do that. But I know other ministers do that. They charge at cost, but I encourage them not to do that. They just just totally offer it for free, as the Lord really wants us to do, ladies and gentlemen. He wants us to to really offer it for free. And uh, and I understand that ministry costs money and so forth. But I encourage you to, to go get a go get a job. Uh, go do what what Shaul did. He worked. You know, uh Yeshua was a carpenter and the apostles worked as well. And and the Jewish rabbis uh, they worked regular occupations along with ministry. There's nothing wrong with doing that, considering that the the prophet Malachi prophesied that people would be stingy with their tithes and offerings. It would be wise to have something on the side. And that's what I do. I don't totally depend on the people. When I preach something that they don't agree with, they stop giving. And so I've learned the hard way that I, I better just focus <laughs> on having something on the side and, you know, my trade, is a sales writing, uh, and and I do sales writing for business uh, to business companies or businesses that sell to other businesses. I help redesign their website. I help uh, th- with them with direct marketing campaigns uh, like direct mail, sending out uh, direct mails uh, in the form of a sales letter, selling their products or services. I, I write those for them, and also uh, write what is called white papers, uh, helping them sell their product uh, online. And so those are the things that, that, that I do. That's my trade. And I also write telemarketing scripts for, for companies that are trying to sell things over the telephone. And so that's what I do for a living. That's my trade. So and then in verse 16 of Second Peter chapter 2, it says, But his wrongdoing was pointed out to him, and as talking with a man's voice put a stop to the error of the prophet. The error of the prophet. So 
let, let's understand, folks, that that this is serious. That uh, we we need to to uh, remember not to fall into the doctrine of Balaam. In Jude chapter one verse eleven, it says, "A curse on them. They have gone in the way of Cain, running uncontrolled in the air of Balaam for reward, and have come to the destruction by saying evil against the Lord like Korah." And it says in verse 12, These men are unseen rocks at your love feast when they take part in them with you. Jude 1 verse 12, Keepers of sheep who without fear take the food of the sheep, clouds with water, without water, rushing before the wind, wasted trees without fruit, twice dead, that means they experience a second death, they won't live again, pulled up by the roots. And when you pull up a plant by the roots, will it live again? No. So, you know, the, we we have to understand that we have to obey this word of God and we only follow those and don't want to compromise. Uh, in Micah chapter 3, Micah chapter 3, verse 11 is a prophecy about to, uh, false Torah teachers. His heads take rewards for judging and the priests take payment for teaching. And the prophets get silver for reading the future. But still supporting themselves in the Lord, they say, is not the Lord among us. No evil will overtake. I'm telling you right now, if uh, your whole purpose in ministry is just to make money off the people and, and, and charge uh, and make a profit off of true teachings of God, the Lord is not with you. You may think the Lord is with you, but he's not. And you must repent of that, ladies and gentlemen, and must be willing to offer it's like I called a recent organization and asked to, to get their literature for free. I, I, I truly don't have the money to be spending for for that. And they said, no, we don't do that. See, and they think that the Lord is um, uh, with them. No, the Lord is not with them. They, they may think so, but, they, but I guarantee you the Lord, based on the Scripture, is not with an organization like that that's not willing to distribute their literature for free if they are truly um, seeking out the laws, if they're truly caring about people and wanting them to know the truth, you would offer it for free. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah, he said, well, I have to get paid. Well, don't worry about it. Believe me, I know from experience the Lord will take care of you if you do, do that. Isaiah 55, verse 1, you have to have faith. That's one of the basic doctrines of God, trust in God. Isaiah 55, verse 1, ho, everyone in need, come to the waters, and he who has no strength, let him get food. Come and get bread without money, wine and milk without price. Without price, without charging. Verse 2, why do you give your money for what is not bread and the fruit of your work for what will not? And this is a prophecy. And this is the prophet Isaiah. This is happening. A lot of people are reading stuff and, and, and so-called truth, and it's not truth. It's, it's, it's junk. And, and the Bible is telling you that through the prophet Isaiah. Why do you give your money for what is not bread and the fruit of your work for what will not give you pleasure? Give ear to me so that your food may be good and you may have the best in full measure. Give ear and come to me. Take note with care so that your souls may have life, and I will make an eternal agreement with you, even the certain mercies of David. And I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. It says, all you who are thirsty, is talking about thirsty, and want to know the word of God, come to the water. You without money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money. It's free. You shouldn't even have to pay a cost for things. That's really the intent. 
It's free. Verse 2, why spend money for what isn't food, your wages for, for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and you will eat. Well, you will enjoy the fat of the land. Open your ears, come to me. Listen well, and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The grace I assure David. Now, understand that ministers, if they choose to do that, that's their right to 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 put a price at cost. As long as you're not making a profit, and that that's found here in First uh, Corinthians, chapter nine. Corinthians chapter nine. Verse nine. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 4, In the Torah of Moshe it is written, You are not to put a muzzle on an ox when it is treading out the grain. If God is concerned about cattle, verse 10, All the more does he say this for our sakes. Yes, it was written for us, meaning that he who plows and he who threshes should work, expecting to get a share of the crop. If we have sown spiritual seed, me as an elder, here I am teaching, and I'm sowing spiritual seed to anyone that listens to me, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? No, it's not. Verse 12, if others are sharing in this right to be supported by you, don't we have a greater claim to it? But we don't make use of this right, so we have a right to, to, to get money for our teachings. That's what it's saying here, our true teaching. Rather, we put up with all kinds of things so as Pete in any way the good news about the Messiah, and I do. I put up with stuff. I put up with the fact that people don't give to me. I, I put up with all that, and we should be willing to do that as, as elders. Verse 13, don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrifices offered there. So if you want to look at this symbolically, the temple is God's 